to the Jesus the Game Changer podcast from Olive Tree Media, hosted by Carl Fays. In today's podcast, Carl's guest is Tom Price, an academic tutor at the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics and an apologist for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Carl is talking to Tom about Jesus as a hero. So the person of Jesus in history, was he different from the culture that he emerged out of? He was hugely different, but not just in terms of his culture immediately around him, but also in terms of our modern understanding of what a hero should look like. He was different because a hero in his day was expected to have military might, was expected to be a, a warrior, or was expected to have a certain religious authority and to release that authority or release that might in order to claim power. And instead, Jesus came in service, in weakness, in self-sacrifice. It wasn't the expected route of a hero. It wasn't the expected route that goodness would take to rescue mankind. And so I think that's why Sauron couldn't see Aragorn, couldn't see the hobbits sneaking the ring into Mount Doom. He couldn't see weakness. He couldn't see self-sacrifice. He couldn't see goodness in that form. And in the same way, I think that's why Jesus and his plan to go to the cross was so unperceived. It's interesting, Tom, because that's actually a kind of picture of leadership and service that's kind of rolled on in history. It's not like it died with Jesus, is it? No. That's become part of our thinking, our culture, what we expect of leaders. In some cultures, it has. Whereas in other cultures, the leader is somebody who can appear um, unquestioned, who can appear like they can maintain their face all the time. But I think there's some strength to an undefended leader who is willing to allow their weaknesses to become strengths, particularly if Jesus can get involved too. Now, it, that whole question brings up the issue of, so was Jesus a real person? And, and is this story, meta narrative, is it true? I mean, how do we deal with truth in this? Is it just a, how do I feel about it? Or is it reasonable to say, okay, this is true? Well, truth is something that we now have become skeptical about, we've become concerned about. Um, and I wouldn't think that that was through a philosophical argument primarily. We now live in this information age where you can Google any piece of information you want within a few seconds. Most of us have access to all of that on smartphones in our pockets. And what that means is that we're just baffled with all this information and we suffer what you might call a sort of option paralysis. How do I decide what's true in all of this information? And so we tend to take a default view where we say, well, maybe none of it's true or maybe all of it's true rather than some of it's true. And I, I, I think that feeds into things too, N not to mention a global economic crisis, which has largely stemmed from um, integrity and trust issues um, of people um, who, who, who would seek to exploit other people um, and trick them. We've had various political scandals in most of our countries. We've seen the weakness of leadership at the highest and at the lowest level. Most of us have become um, skeptical about those in power, about those in government, about those who have the ability to control media and news networks. Most of us have become increasingly skeptical. We've also been rushed with all this information and then we switch on our television scenes and we see religious fundamentalists who are willing to blow themselves up because they think that they've got the truth. 
The rise of the sciences, in contrast, offers a secure, safe way of knowing things that isn't controversial in the same sort of ways that some of these religious and moral truths are, claims about right and wrong. And so we have tended to back away from truth claims and from confidently knowing the truth in moral and religious areas. And we've been terrified of those who would claim to know the truth. And so then when you say, let's consider a historical person like Jesus, who has all these religious and moral connections, it's like it sets off all these alarm bells before we even open a book of history to start to look into his character and start to look into the evidence for him. Now, if we did do that historical work and if we did look into the evidence for him, what we find is that the historical case for him couldn't be stronger. There is probably no figure in ancient history that is better evidenced and attested than Jesus of Nazareth. But we don't often get that far because we're so concerned about these modern questions. Yeah, because it's, it's intriguing because it's, it's sort of seen like here's science dealing with reason, here's religion dealing with what I feel. You're suggesting that we can, we can actually still go to, to reason, uh, truth, belief, looking at a religious question and a person like Jesus. We need to see that science is only one way of looking at the world and only certain types of subject matter are accessible by that scientific approach and method. It can't, for example, tell us that mathematical truths are real. It can't tell us about logical propositions. It can't tell us which body we're in at the moment is our body, even though we all know that we're in a body and that we are in a particular body. It can't tell us about our histories. You can't do a scientific test to show that the history that you know is yours is yours. And we have to recognize that the social sciences English, literature, the arts, have all been considered for the longest period of history valid inquiries into reality and that there are lots of different ways of looking into reality. And so I think that in just the same way as historical scholarship and English scholarship should be taken seriously, we should be careful and cautious and use the tools and principles appropriate to that way of looking at the world Neither should we become highly, highly sceptical that we can't know anything apart from scientific things, nor should we just become um, overly committed to some things that we don't have good evidence for. But maybe there's a way somewhere in the middle that we can have an open mind, but equally look at facts and look at the information that we have, even if it's not right before us in a scientific experiment. So if we went back and met you as a, as a young man, was, was, was belief and faith and, and, and recognising the person of Jesus as a 15-year-old reasonable in your life? No, I wouldn't say that <laughs> recognising God's authority and interest in my life was something that um, was true of me when I was 15. So what were you like then? I was a bit of a handful, it's probably true to say. I was quite into drugs, um, I was quite into smoking marijuana, um, and I had alienated myself from my family and from education um, in quite a big way by the time I was 16, 17, um, and was really seeking um, my own escape and my own truths in my own way as best as I could. That led me to do lots of different jobs, some of them um, more responsible than others, and then finally to um, decide to go to university and to try to look at questions that I thought were interesting through studying philosophy at university. So how did studying philosophy influence your life? It gave me 
permission to ask questions and to think about things and to, it gave me tools to sort out good answers from bad answers, to sort out truth from fiction when somebody answered a question. And I was intrigued by um, the old questions, the real questions of philosophy. Who are we? Where has the universe come from? Where are we going? What can we hope for? What significance do our lives have? What is right and wrong? Where do these things come from? What is the best explanation, the best worldview or the best story that makes sense of the answers that we search out in these sorts of discussions? Now, you're obviously you've dismissed Christian faith and you're pursuing this from a, a, a university setting philosophical position. What, what's the way to navigate through those questions? Because they're huge questions. So I was the undergraduate president of the Philosophy Society at the university and I was exploring and thinking about Christian faith and I began to read and think about the arguments for the existence of God and I began to be impacted by these arguments. I would have described myself at that point as being atheist, naturalist, Buddhist kind of leaning mm -hmm. and I began to be impacted and I sat back a couple of times and said to myself these arguments are actually quite intriguing. I can't write off religious believers as being unintelligent anymore. I've got to recognize that some of these arguments actually are quite interesting and quite stimulating and are worthy of a lot more investigation. Was it something that you were drawn to? Because I would imagine uh, in that setting with the life that you'd lived, that would have been something you would have pushed against. I mean, it, it, was it difficult to grapple with those questions? My parents, who I didn't get on with, had become Christians when I was in my mid to early teens. Okay. And because they were Christians and because we didn't get on, I really didn't want it to be true. <laughs> I really didn't want it to be true. It was the last thing I wanted to be true. But it, but it was like thinking through it philosophically got you to the point where you go, I can't dismiss it. I had to go where the argument led. I had to follow down through the arguments and say, this Jesus person seems to be coming back at me and back at me again, not emotionally, not psychologically, but through the arguments, through the exercise and the use of these rational investigations, using logic to, to, to work out, okay, is this a good argument? Is this a bad argument? So in other words, it wasn't, you, you kind of felt like you needed it. It stood, a, it kind of ran contrary to what you would want, but almost, if I can use the word truth or, or seeking through reason to discover truth, here's where you were led. I'd like to say that I didn't need it, but I now know that I really did. Um, but at that point, it wasn't an emotional or psychological need that drove me to discover and investigate it. I wouldn't have given up my integrity of mind in order to believe something that I didn't think was true in order to have an emotional benefit or a psychological benefit. So but, the thing that got you, if I can use the term over the line, <laughs> yeah. what, what, was the, what was the place of going, yeah, this is, this is how I, I, where I'm gonna commit myself? Well, so I'd come to believe that it was true and I'd been watching movies by Paul Thomas Anderson, Terence Malick, Christopher Nolan, and I'd been thinking about the questions that these movies were validating and asking. Is there truth? Are right and wrong the features of the same face? What, what, what is the answer to why human beings exist? What can we forgive? What is right and wrong? And I'd been quite struck by these questions being my questions too, and I felt like I was a bit less crazy for having watched these movies. I also had to reduce the amount of 
marijuana that I was smoking because doing philosophical logic and engineering mathematics while you're very stoned leads to low scores and so I had to have my faculties more available when I was doing my homework and so I reduced the amount I was smoking and I realized that these weren't just questions that were interesting to me when I watched movies but actually these questions were questions that were personal too. It wasn't just an intellectual, um, intellectually interesting to me, but it was also a personal search, a personal journey. And I eventually, a few months later, got to the point where I said, not only do I think this is true, but I also need help here. And so I knelt down in my room and I held out my hands and I just said, God, I'm not clean. I need you to clean me and help me. Will you forgive me? I want to know you. And that was the last night that I smoked drugs, that was the last night that I smoked a cigarette, that was the last night that I got drunk. Wow, so in other words, that simple prayer actually had a profound emotional healing effect in your life. Francis Schaeffer said that sometimes when somebody comes to faith, there can be a deep and profound emotional psychological healing that God does in them. I think I opened the door, reluctantly perhaps, and then I think God did the healing and God did the restoring. And my wife would say there's a lot of healing and restoring still to do, and I think she's probably right. Tom, this series is about Jesus the Game Changer. If we said to you, so how do you think Jesus is the Game Changer? How, what would you say? I thought that when I first approached Christianity and Jesus, that I was dealing with dry, traditional, arid monotheism. Belief that God is there and he's quite distant and he sort of looks like an old man with a beard. But Jesus was the Game Changer for me because he opened a window for me. Seeing him and seeing him describe, reveal, and show me what God was like, he showed me that there was a different kind of God who could be there, who could be real, who could be interested in me. He broke open that hard, dry monotheism and showed me this loving family who created the world. He showed me that there could be a relationship, that there could be a friendship, and he showed me that he didn't just want to rescue me and then leave me back there but he also wanted to have a friendship with me and he had plans for my life um, and that he had um, a way of restoring me that left me me but also grew me fantastic really appreciate your time thank thanks tom we hope you've enjoyed this podcast if you'd like to support the radio video and podcast ministry of olive tree media you can donate online at olivetreemedia.com.au and click on the donate button in the top right corner. We accept both tax-deductible and non-tax-deductible donations. Thanks for listening. Oh,